Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal shelter. The Fort Collins Cat Rescue and Spay and Neuter Clinic was founded in 2006 with just 17 cats, two veterinary technicians, and a 450 square foot room. They are the only truly low cost spay and neuter clinic in their area, and they are committed to every cat that enters their shelter. They adopt out nearly 2,500 cats and kittens each year and are committed to finding them all a perfect forever home. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about Fort Collins Cat Rescue. Um, why don't you start us off by telling us where you guys are located and maybe a little bit about what you do? Sure. So Fort Collins Cat Rescue and Spay-Neuter Clinic is located in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, northern Colorado, where lots of people want to live right now because it's such a beautiful place to be. Our organization started in 2006, and we actually have quite a lot going on. We're probably most known for our shelter for homeless cats and kittens. But in addition to that, we have a lot of services that are aimed at keeping pets in homes and out of shelters. And that includes a spay-neuter clinic for both cats and dogs, a community cat program, a pet food pantry, and some behavior services. And there's there's a lot more in all of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Fort Collins and the community and, and the people that are in the area and that you serve? We um, Fort Collins is in Larimer County. And Larimer County is pretty urban, but we do still have some farming in our community, in our county around us. And then Fort Collins Cat Rescue actually considers the neighboring county, Weld County, also as part of our service area and our community. So we really are here uh, for Northern Colorado and, and beyond, which you'll hear I'm sure later on in the show. And so Weld County is kind of this huge, sprawling, strange shaped county that is very agricultural and very rural. And the reason that it is important for me to mention that is because of the community cat stuff that we're, that we're addressing in, in our area. Uh, Fort Collins does also have Colorado State University, go Rams. I'm a CSU grad myself. So we have a large population of students in our community. And in addition to that, Weld County has the University of Northern Colorado. So there's also a, a pretty significant student population in Weld County. Yeah, it's interesting because what I what I hear you saying there is you guys, you're in an urban location, but you service both urban and rural areas. And so that has to bring some interesting challenges to your organization. It is really interesting. And, and even just the huge difference between Larimer County and Weld County, for example, Larimer County, I would say, is extremely progressive when it comes to animal welfare. Our organization is 12 and a half years old. We turned 13 in June. We've seen some really dramatic changes happen over that period of time in regards to animal welfare, the decrease in shelter euthanasias, our community just being very knowledgeable and wanting to do the right thing, adopting pets rather than looking to purchase pets. And that's very exciting. We're really proud 
Uh, Weld County is a little bit of a different story because it does have such a huge agricultural Agriculture is extremely important to Weld County. We, um, Weld County is actually one of the top producers of crops for the United States. I, I want to say it's like number four in the United States. And the challenge there is that animals are still very much seen as uh, a part of a working farm versus a family member. And this becomes especially challenging when we're talking about community cats. So, yeah, I definitely think that that brings a unique challenge Um, to your point, right? Animals are viewed more as property and working animals versus, you know, family members and companion animals. That's one thing that we honestly hear, you know, with a lot of organizations, Um, you know, and I think just over time it has gotten better. And I think we need to continue focusing on that to make changes where we can. Um, And you guys, you also mentioned that you have uh, two colleges that are kind of near you, and that has to... That has to kind of change your volunteer base a little bit. Yes, we do have a large number of volunteers that are CSU students, and that is wonderful because we have all of these young, enthusiastic people that are looking to make the world a better place and that oftentimes love animals. So that is very win-win for us. Where it can become challenging is in the summer when a lot of the students go home we all of a sudden lose this huge percentage of our shelter volunteers, the the people that are coming in and actually helping to care for the animals. So I would say that's a challenge. But uh, outside of that, I think we're just so fortunate to have these college students who, like I said, are are looking at figuring out their place in the world. And, you know, millennials just have this mindset of, doing work that they're passionate about and and making the world a better place. So in that way, I think we're very fortunate. There's definitely truth to that. Um, So you'd mentioned, right, with them over the summer break, with them going home, um, you know, I know in most states, they encounter a kitten season, right? And that has to Mm -hmm. kind of fall right around that time where you're losing that bulk of volunteers. Um, And you also mentioned your community cats program as well. So how does that, do you guys have a TNR program? How do you manage that, I mean, since we are at the end of March, that has to be coming up for you guys. So what does that look like for you? I'm so glad you asked about that. Uh, We do have a community cat program. So we have a full-time staff member dedicated to trap, neuter, return in Larimer and Weld County primarily. It's an extremely busy program. And as we are seeing weather changes, um, it's getting warmer and it's staying warmer longer that means that our kitten season is growing. So it's becoming more common for us to see litters of kittens in the winter because it's still sunny and 60 degrees. And that's becoming challenging. It also means our community cat program administrator is busier year round. So we have seen a dramatic increase so far in the first quarter of this year in the number of cat community cats that we are going out and trapping and then bringing kittens in, which go to our foster program. Um, And you asked about the students leaving in the summer. And and that is, yes, summer is our busiest time of year because we are just bogged down, not only with kittens from our community, but because Northern Colorado has, and Colorado in general, has been so successful in making such a huge impact in animal welfare. We're one of the primary states that's transferring a lot of a lot of animals in from other states. We're getting a lot of requests. So we're, we're not just 
dealing with the population that we have in our own backyard, but we're having all of our transfer partners reach out and say, hey, we really need you to take some more litters of kittens if you can. But it is interesting to me that you guys are working with organizations outside of the state more and more. Uh- oh, yeah. I, it And if I, I realize I haven't really covered our history, and I think that would be something that would be really interesting for people to hear as we have continued to provide so many spays and neuters to our community, we our organization has performed about 60,000 spays and neuters in the last 11 and a half years. We're seeing fewer and fewer kittens, homeless kittens in our community. The exception to that is the ones that are living outdoors that don't necessarily have an owner. And so the, one, the kittens that we're adopting out from our organization that came from within our community almost entirely come from our community cat program. Now that is very different from how it was 12 and a half years ago when I started this organization. And we had people showing up at our door every day, surrendering litters of kittens because their adult cat had an oops litter and they had run out of neighbors and friends to pawn the kittens off on. And so it's really amazing because now the great majority of the kittens that we bring into our shelter and adopt out are coming from shelters outside our community that are still really struggling with this giant number of homeless kittens. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. The numbers that you just threw at us is, that's crazy. 60,000 cats in 11 and a half years. That's phenomenal. That would be cats cats and dogs um, because our spay neuter clinic does also service dogs, but it's about 50, 50. So it's about, so about 30,000 cats in the last 11 and a half years because our clinic was opened about a year after we got started. That's still amazing, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and we've been very careful, especially in those early years, in really focusing on the most at-risk animals so that it's not just providing accessible, affordable spay-neuter. It's making sure that you're getting to the animals that are most mm-hmm. out at risk. And so we have had a, pre- a program called Preventa Litter Plus for years now where low-income community members can utilize our services in our spay-neuter clinic at no charge to them. We do ask them to contribute something, and, and the great majority of them do. But the whole point in our spay-neuter clinic and the only way to really make it successful and, and have it make an impact in your community is to ensure that the people that most need it are getting in. And so we've offered transportation, we've taken our services into low-income neighborhoods in our communities, we've worked with animal control to identify where are you taking in the largest number of stray animals, where are you receiving the most, uh, the majority of complaints, are there specific neighborhoods? And we've actually taken our services there. We have really done everything we can to make it so easy for someone that's struggling to make ends meet to get their pet into our clinic for spay, neuter, and vaccinations. That's awesome. Um, You know, I love the overall program, but also there are so many little steps that go into that in making it successful that you really need a team around you and not only a team, but the community as well. And it definitely sounds like they are rallying around you and it's a give and take relationship, which is key. Absolutely. Yeah, our community has been wonderful and have really supported us in our work and recognize the benefits of having services like we have. And you can see that just from our growth over the last 12 and a half years, we literally went from 
two part-time volunteers that had this crazy idea to now a $2 million a year budget with 38 staff members and 500 volunteers. Yeah, thank you for mentioning the numbers because I think that helps people put that into perspective, right? The size of your organization and what you're doing and the community, again, at large that you're trying to support. I mean, that's huge. The growth that you've that you've gone through in 12 years is incredible. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So we kind of talked about the Preventa Litter, and that was definitely on my list to, to kind of talk to you about. And we talked about the Community Cats, which is a huge tie-in because it's about the spay and neuter services. I want to know a little bit of, a little bit more about your pet food pantry and the assistance program that you have for the community. I'm one of the founders of the organization. Myself and a very good friend of mine, Anna Neubauer, started the organization in 2006. And at that time, more than 50% of the cats that went into our local open admission shelter never came back out. And I had worked as a veterinary technician for years prior to starting the cat rescue. I thought I wanted to go to vet school. And when I found out how many animals died in shelters every year, it literally changed my entire world. I, I was shocked. I was horrified. I thought, how could anybody be okay with this? Um, How did I work in veterinary hospitals for nine years without knowing this? It was kind of a dirty little secret that our community had not acknowledged. And so that's how we got, excuse me, that's how we got started. I, once I, once I got started in animal welfare, it was like this, again, it just took over my entire world. I, I had found my calling. I had found my passion. And so we started out just with this very tiny cat shelter. We had 450 square feet in the building that we still occupy today. And we started with 17 cats that were at a, another organization where I'd been volunteering and needed a place to go. And what we very quickly realized, and again, that would have been Anna and I, was that we weren't making a difference. We were just another place that was housing cats that nobody wanted. Our phone was ringing off the hook with people wanting to surrender litters of kittens to us. And of course, our immediate response was always, you know, you need to get the parent cats fixed. And sometimes this would be that sixth litter that they were looking to surrender to a shelter. And the answer was always the same. It was always, well, I would love to do that, but but I can't afford it. That is why very quickly after starting the organization, we decided that if we were really going to make any impact at all, that we had to open a low-cost spay neuter clinic. And so within a year of starting the organization, that's what we did. We quit our jobs. We both worked as vet techs at the time. And we we quit our jobs. It was really frightening. And we decided that we were going to try to make it work uh, to do this full time. Uh, and, and what I'm getting to with the pet food pantry is that the spay neuter clinic, starting that was kind of our eye opener in that you're never going to be able to save all of the animals by having a shelter, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is you can build a bigger shelter and then you can build another even bigger shelter, but you just can't fit all of the animals in there. And eventually you're going to run out of adopters. And opening our spay neuter clinic was our first step in preventing animals from coming into the shelter in the in the first place. And from there, we've continued to grow our shelter intake prevention services. So our pet food pantry was a very natural next step. One of the reasons we were constantly identifying reasons why people were needing to surrender their cats. And sometimes that was, I can't feed my cat. I'm trying to feed my children. I'm trying to make ends meet. And paying for cat food is no longer something that I can work into my budget. And it was another way for us to 
provide a service that was going to keep a pet in a home and out of our very limited shelter. And we expanded that program to include dogs as well. We give out now about 60,000 pounds of pet food a year, and we feed over a thousand animals annually. That's crazy. So I think for me, when I hear you talk about both the history and the pet food pantry, I think the key for me is you had your eye on a bigger prize, right? You knew that you wanted to help not only the animals, but the people in your community. And it wasn't just about the spay and neuter clinic. It was about education, right? Like you said, you're a vet tech for nine years. And this dirty little secret that you encountered, right? You knew that you felt you felt compelled to That's do right. something about that. And so I love that it's it's focused around animals, but I love the the educational and the community side of it. So I think for me, that's really the takeaway in this. Yeah. And, and one thing that we talk about a lot in our organization is that we have to love people too. And that can be really challenging when you're dealing at times with some really sad situations or some situations that just leave you so frustrated, you feel like you're going to pull all of your hair out. But people really do have good intentions. For the most part, there are some, there are always going to be exceptions, but people have good intentions. They want to take good care of their pets. They want to keep their pets in their family. And so that's why within our staff, we talk all the time about you can't just love animals. You have to also like people. Animals don't walk themselves through your door. Animals don't pick up the phone and call us and say, I'm living outdoors and I'm really hungry. We have a culture that loves people to the extent that is possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really important. And, and even when we're interviewing to hire, one of the first questions I always ask people, because of course they come into an interview and, and they talk about how much they love animals. And I say, that's really great. I'd like to know if you like people. Yeah. That's an important question. <laughs> yeah. That's really important, right? Because I find that the more I do this, the more I talk to people, you're really a people person or you're an animal person. People are tricky, right? They're People are tricky. The animals are easy. And that's why I always get worried when, when someone wants a job in animal welfare because they, they hate people, but they love animals. And I think, my goodness, you, you have <laughs> no idea how much of animal welfare is working with people. It's 99% of the work. Yeah. It really is because animals don't get help without people. Plus your coworkers are humans. They're not cats. Yeah. <laughs> They're not dogs. I mean, yes, we're so fortunate that, that that's part of, of our work life, but you have to be able to work with people. You have to be able to understand people, communicate with people, and you have to like people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good if you like them, but you have to at least tolerate them, right? Yeah. And uh -huh. and so I think that's a great segue because the next thing I want to kind of talk about is your foster program. And it looks like you guys have an enormous uh, foster home program, which again involves people, right? People helping that's animals. Right. And that's so right. I want to kind of learn a little bit more about this foster program that you have. Yeah, our foster program was one of our very first programs. So when we started Fort Collins Cat Rescue and, and Anna and I were still working as veterinary technicians, our coworkers were our foster program. <laughs> and so what a foster family does is they open their home and they open their heart to typically kittens or moms with kittens that aren't old enough or healthy enough to go up for adoption and that aren't going to thrive or or do as well as they could in a shelter environment. 
And our foster program has grown by leaps and bounds. So my, I think the last time I talked to my foster and, and transfer administrator, we were at around 200 foster homes. Now they're not all active at the same time, but in you know peak kitten season, when many of them are active, we have up to 350 cats and kittens in foster homes, which is pretty phenomenal because we can't hold nearly that amount of animals in our shelter. And so our foster homes are absolutely crucial to us being able to save as many lives as we do every year. And we last um, the last 12 month period was the largest number of uh, intakes and adoptions we'd ever done in a 12 month period. And it was it was over 2500 adoptions. Wow. And so obviously not possible without a foster home program. Not at all possible without a foster program. 70% of the animals that walk through our door spend some amount of time in a foster home. Um, we use them for our, you know, adult cats that have an upper respiratory infection and are going to just get well quicker in a foster home. We use them for cats that are having some behavior challenges that just are not going to thrive in a shelter environment. And then, of course, the largest population is those kittens that come in that are under eight weeks of age and are under two pounds. So would you say the majority of animals in your foster homes, in your foster home program are cats then? What percentage of dogs versus cats are in your foster home program? Our foster program is 100% cats. Um, I'm glad you asked that because that can get really confusing. When we started our organization, we had a pretty limited (laughs) vision of what we were going to be doing. Um, So our actual, our original name was just Fort Collins Cat Rescue. And then in 2011, we changed our name to Fort Collins Cat Rescue and Spay Neuter Clinic. But even with us now being here 12 and a half years, our name is extremely misleading for one, we do have a shelter. Rescue leads you to believe that we only work with a, a network of foster homes, but we do have an actual facility. And two is that a lot of our programs also serve dogs. Now, our, our shelter does not, and our foster program does not. That's cat only. But our spay neuter clinic, our low-cost vaccine clinics, our pet food pantry, our prevent litter program, those all serve both cats and dogs. And then our newest our newest service, which is offering behavior consultations that serves cats and dogs. But our shelter and our community cat program are cat only. It is it is a little confusing, but we did add a dog to our logo back in 2011 as well. And um, and nonetheless, we have people that have been, you know, supporting us for 12 years and and they'll come take a tour and, and see dogs in our clinic and go, why are there dogs here? And I'm like, <laughs> Well, because we actually serve dogs too, and we have for our pretty much our entire existence. And they're like, what? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I do. You know, I do think it's important. And I like that you incorporated the dog into your logo because it is a and neuter clinic, right? So it's not dedicated to cats. So I think logically that makes sense. Although I can understand how that can be kind of confusing to people. Right. Yes. Again, it's the having cat in our in our name leads people to believe we have a cat rescue and a cat spay neuter clinic. Yeah, I can yeah. I can definitely understand that. So I know with all the programs that you have, Sarah, I, I, I have to imagine that funding can be a bit of a challenge for you. And so do you guys do a lot of fundraising? How, do, how does that work for such a large organization? That's a great question. We funding is always a challenge, like any nonprofit organization, we could, we could always do more. Um, there's always animals we have to turn away. There's program ideas that we have to say not this year. 
So we're constantly fundraising. We have a development team on our staff that's committed to fundraising every year. We do have a big annual gala. It's called Whiskers and Wags Jubilee. And this year's theme is Hollywood Night at the Movies. It's actually coming up. It's on March 31st. It's a dinner, a silent auction, a live auction, a paddle raiser. And it's been, it's a very successful fundraiser. We raise over $100,000 a year with that fundraiser or, or close to, I guess our gross is over a hundred thousand, but um, I think it ends up being around 95,000 for our net fundraising. And then we have several other fundraising events throughout the year. Um, outside of the events, we really encourage people to become part of our monthly giving program. That's called our smitten with kittens program. That's really our bread and butter because it's a amount that we can really depend on every month. Um, we have over 200 people that are a part of that program and, you know, people get some fun little perks like special shirts and some recognition on our website and other, other places. So we love that program. We're, we're always looking to grow that program. And um, we do have some service fees. So we do have adoption fees for the majority of the, the cats and kittens that we adopt out. But the highest adoption fee we have is $175. And the average that we spend on each animal that each cat or kitten that comes to our doors is, is closer to 350. So you can see the problem there. That's why we're always fundraising. <laughs> and um, we do also have fees associated, associated with the services in our spay neuter clinic. The exception of course is for those low income community members that are utilizing our services. There aren't any fees. We ask people to pay what they can. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I would say in in the past, in the organizations that I've talked with, I, I would say that there are definitely low-cost uh, spay and neuter clinics around, um, but I don't know that I've heard of, of any like yours where you offer it free and you basically say whatever you can afford you know, mm -hmm. is what we'll take. And so again, yeah. I think that that's something that makes you guys a little bit more unique. Sure. And, and that program's challenging because it has kind of the, the same issue again of there's just never enough funding for it. We don't advertise it a lot. Uh, if we did, we probably would, would run out of money. <laughs> um, so I want to say last year we did spay or neuter 680 animals through our Preventa Litter Plus program. Some people might have paid $50 uh, to have those services and other people may have not contributed anything. So again, it's just really making sure that the animals that are most at risk of reproducing or losing their home because they're not altered are being taken care of. Yeah. And again, I, you know, I, I think I made a comment earlier about how I, I just think it's really important uh and I love, I love that you're putting people as a priority in this, and it's it's as much about the people as it is the animals. And I think that spay and neuter, spay and neuter clinic, <laughs> um, tongue twister. Um, but I think the spay and neuter clinic is is a great, it's a great example of that. So I just love what you guys are doing with it, and and I can certainly understand the funding issues um, that come along. Yeah. And one of the other challenges now, and you may have heard this from some of the other shelters and rescues you've been talking to, is we also depend on grants from foundations. That That's another funding source for us. So we receive about $200,000 a year from grants to help fund our programs. 
And animal welfare is changing pretty quickly. And a lot of foundations are now asking for groups to uh, send in their innovative ideas. They want to fund new programs, new ideas. And that puts an organization like ours in a really tricky spot because we're, we're, we're ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. We're already offering a lot of uh, additional programs. And so it's becoming more and more challenging to get funding from grants for successful programs, excuse me, successful programs that you already have in place because funders want to fund something new. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. One that it sounds like your team is going to have to put their heads together on and and see maybe how you can just innovate the existing programs that you have, yeah, right? Instead right. of creating new ones, maybe it's just about revamping the current ones that you have that you know already work and the community is rallying around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So one of my favorite parts um, in these conversations is learning about the memorable stories. So I have to imagine with 12 years, um, and more than that, right, actually 20 plus years of of experience in animal welfare, you have to have several memorable stories that you kind of go to, um, to remind you why you do what you do. Do you have one that you want to share? Sure. Um, you're right. There are a lot. <laughs> so I, I, this happened recently, or this, this has been on my mind recently. There is a story about two kitties. Uh, their names when they were with us were Don Juan and Oakley. And it, it's going to show a little bit how much animal welfare and even our organization has changed over the years when I share it. So Don Juan and Oakley probably entered into our shelter, I don't know, 2007. So they were they were in pretty early after we started. And they didn't come into our shelter together. They came from two um, separate situations. So Oakley was an owner surrender to our local open admission shelter that was transferred to us. And Don Juan was a stray in Wyoming. And Don Juan had FIV. But what's important to know is, is all those years ago when we when he came in, most shelters euthanized cats with FIV. We did not and, and still do not. And, and now it's a much less common practice for cats with FIV to be euthanized. So these two cats came in from separate situations um, because they were both older cats and they had some unique challenges. Oakley had a an inappropriate a history of inappropriate urination. They were extremely hard to uh, receive interest from adopters. So back then, you could get free kittens, you know, in front of King Supers any any day of the week. King Supers is a large grocery store cha- chain in our community, and so it wasn't hard to get a free kitten somewhere. And the likelihood then of someone coming in and adopting a five year old cat that had a history of inappropriate urination or a five year old cat with FIV was was pretty minuscule. So we kind of told ourselves at the time that that these two cats were never going to get adopted. They were just going to be with us forever. And Oakley actually did get adopted from us at one point and returned for inappropriate urination. And as time went by and these cats were in our population, they befriended each other and they actually bonded to the point where they slept together all the time. They cleaned each other all the time they were inseparable. And one day we had this wonderful woman come in and she was one of those people that those of us in animal rescue are always so thankful for 
that really only wanted to look at the animals that were being overlooked. And she really was attracted to these two cats. And I was hesitant to let them go because my fear was that they were going to go home with this person and that Oakley was going to be on the bed and they were going to be returned. But there was just something really special about her. Um, the cats seemed to be really taken with her and she was clearly very taken with them. And all in all, she ended up adopting them. And it was the best decision that either of us had ever made. And to this day, she sends me several emails a year with pictures of them and, and telling me how wonderful they're doing and how much joy they've brought to her life. And Oakley, um, he passed away about a year ago and she, you know, had, had of course let me know about that. And, and she actually came by and she brought me a, a little statue, um, a kitty statue that looked like him, which is now on display in my office. And then she emailed me the other day, um, just this week, to let me know that that Don Juan, who she had renamed Donovan, has a tumor in his belly. And, you know, that right now it's just a matter of making him comfortable and, and making his last days enjoyable. And um, I emailed her back and I said, do you think I could come visit him? And and so I'm going to be doing that hopefully in, in the next week or two. But I think it. Um, I just I just love that these cats found a home with this wonderful person. They've been in this home for, for more than 10 years at this point, And that it was such a special thing that, that this adopter still keeps me apprised of how they're doing every day. And that does remind me of why I got into this work because 10 years ago, I knew every cat, I knew their personality. I knew what they needed. Um, I knew every volunteer. It was just a different time for me. And, and with our organization growing, my time is spent on strategic planning and budgeting and meeting after meeting after meeting and fundraising. And it can become really hard at times to remember why you started this work. And when I have a reminder like Don Juan, it, it, it grounds me. It reminds me why I'm here. It reminds me why I was so connected to this calling to help animals that didn't have a home. I couldn't help but be really engaged during that conversation. One, I could feel your passion and your emotion in that. And again, I feel like for me in talking with you, as much as it is about the animals and that story proved that, um, it is about the people, right? You had a feeling about her. She was connected to the animals. I feel like that story really came full circle, full circle about our entire conversation. Um, and so I'm so thankful that you shared that story and that you were able to stay in touch with her uh, and receive those updates. I think that's an incredible reminder. And I think that's something that everybody can pull from. It is. I mean, they're just amazing. Animals are so amazing. And I think that everybody realizes this. There may be a very small population of people that, that really don't like animals, but it is small. And it's just so sad that for so long, the way that we addressed this horrible problem of there being too many was to euthanize the ones that we didn't have room for. And as sad as it is, it's amazing to see how much animal welfare has changed. Uh, it's amazing to see how, how many fewer animals are euthanized in shelters every year, how many fewer homeless animals there are, period. And it's also really amazing to see the focus going from building bigger and bigger shelters to house more and more animals 
to actually reaching out into your community and helping people keep their animals. And that is something that I get really excited about. I'm really passionate about is keeping families intact, keeping pets with the people that love them and leaving space open in the shelter for those animals that really don't have an opportunity to stay with their family. Again, I I said it before, but I am I'm fascinated by your dedication to the people and the community um, and the programs that you have. Uh, and your passion certainly comes through, Sarah. I I couldn't be more thrilled to have been connected with you guys and, and have you as a guest uh, on our show and, and to, to allow you a chance to kind of talk about and share your programs um, with others. So as we get ready to wrap up here, we talked about a lot. Is there anything that we missed that you want to share before we end? I I don't think so. (laughs) I did. I had really wanted to to talk a little bit about how animal welfare is transitioning. And I and I managed to get that in just a minute ago. And um, I think we've covered all of our programs. I I guess I just might add in again that um, going back to this philosophy of ours to do everything we can to keep pets in homes and out of shelters is that we did recently add this behavior program where we're actually working with community members on troubling behaviors with cats or dogs, again, to keep them in homes. As animal welfare is more and more successfully reducing the number of homeless dogs, we're seeing more and more behavior um, problems with the dogs that do come into our shelters. And so, again, being the organization we are and trying to always think our think through these problems and how can we prevent them? How can we be progressive? It was, you know, we need to start offering behavior services for these dogs that are having problems so that they stay in the home and they don't go to the shelter. For anybody else that wants to to learn more, I do think you have a spot for that on your website, correct? I do, yes. Yeah, so we would definitely encourage people to, to check that out and we'll definitely link to your website as well. Um, and you have a, a wealth of knowledge on your website, including all the programs that we talked about today. So I do hope that people go out and and check it out and reach out to you to, to kind of learn more and see how they can help. Yes, me too. That, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Please visit our website. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and we'll be, we'll be following your progress. All right. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.